0: Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me uh, this morning. And as we are during this, this message or these messages, moving around in different places in Scripture, but I want you to first uh, today, as we're going to land in this particular verse of Scripture, passage this morning, um, go to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and uh, we'll get there in just a few moments But uh, last week, uh, with the Lord's help, uh, we tried to, as best we could, define what we meant by the glory of the Lord. And uh, I'm not, as I have mentioned in the past, I'm not really sure where we're going to finish uh, and when we're going to finish on this subject, this topic, but uh, more than ever before, I believe we need the glory of God. Uh, not just in our services, but in our lives, in our individual lives. I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I think that what goes on in our daily life tends to eventually spill out in our services. That can be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. Uh, if we allow ourselves certain luxuries of selfishness, of sin of getting our own way, doing our own thing in our regular life, but then we come into church and we expect that the blessing of God will come through us, it's not going to happen. We're going to see today, though, in this passage, or some of these passages of Scripture, something that we understand about the glory of God as the definition, we defined it last week, not only as a or as um, the presence of God, His dwelling in or living in that Shekinah glory, that that manifest presence of God's, where God shows His glory to His people, but also it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was defined as His splendor, His brilliance. Those uh, those times in uh, in Scripture, we see at different points. This this happened uh, in the New Testament. Uh, at the resurrection of Jesus, you remember that the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb saw a bright light and they fell down as if they were dead, even though they were not. But they fell down, you know, likely passing out. Uh, there was something that took place there when Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and the brilliance and the splendor of the glory of the resurrected Christ appeared to him. The Bible says that it blinded him. Uh, we, We see these events in Scripture, but there's also the definition we talked a little bit about, about the weight of the presence of God, the weight of the glory of God. And sometimes it is the weight of the glory of God that has to deal with us in our lives in certain things. I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're dealing with on a daily basis and some of the struggles and some of the difficulties of life, some of the things that maybe we wrestle against or maybe we've just lost, lost the victory. We're not wrestling at all. We're just, we've, we've given in, we've allowed the enemy a, a foothold and a place. I want you to know that the glory of God can still come into that situation, but it's a different kind of glory. And it's a glory, hopefully, to bring about a change to your, your life and a change to your heart. We're going to see that in a moment. In fact, today, uh, with the Lord's help, I want to just describe from Scripture some of the things that we see when the glory of God descended and came down and some of the events that took place that brought the glory of God into that situation. And you might be shocked to recognize or to realize that the glory of God on one occasion, we're only going to deal with two, but one occasion, the first occasion was this, that the glory of God came in response to sin. You see, God loves His people so much. He cares about you so much. That sometimes the glory of God will descend in a place, in a building, in a church service. The glory of God will maybe descend in your car when you're alone. It'll descend in your home when you're alone. But it'll descend in a much different way. It is what we understood part of the definition of that, that Hebrew word for glory was weight. It'll come upon you as a weight so that you recognize that there is a weight that is even greater than your own sin. See, sin causes problems between our relationship with God. Sin is that thing that is a break in that relationship. And some people think that that is actually a moment of freedom. But I want you to know, and from what we see in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, sin never brings freedom. It always brings bondage. Sin always brings those things in our lives that, that will weigh us down to the point where we're not sure that we can take it any longer. Go now, if you're already there, hopefully you're already there, but to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, and the glory of God came in response to the sin of rebellion. The sin of... Of rebellion. Now, you know Moses and Aaron had been in a situation. We're going to read probably quite a few passages, or quite a few verses of Scripture here. Uh, Numbers chapter sixteen. We're going to read starting at verse one, and we're going to go through down into verse nineteen. And I, you know, the Lord willing, we'll just put on our seatbelts and read this so that we can get a full grasp of what was happening. Uh, at the time that it was happening and, and also understand what the, the circumstances were that was surrounding why the glory of God descended. It wasn't the glory of God coming down to commend those who had done what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't the glory of God coming down to somehow say, you know what, I'm going to gloss it all over. That's not what it was for. The glory of God came down to stand with the righteous and to bring discipline to those who were were rebellious. I'm grateful we live in the age of grace, which we do. But I want you to see what took place here. In Numbers chapter 16, starting at verse 1, the Bible says, Korah, son of Izar the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of, of Peleph, became insolent and, look at this, rose up against Moses. This is very important. We don't have time to deal with this. This passage is a, is a sermon all of its own. But the Bible says this, With them were 250 Israelite men well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? It's an amazing thing how history has repeated itself. We say, essentially, here's what they were saying. Who do you think you are? Ultimately, it was a rebellion. And you know what? If there is anything that this country has allowed to take place, it is a rebellious spirit and in a rebellious attitude. I'm not advocating for government crushing of of the the right to protest. I'm not advocating for anything like that. But even in our higher academic institutions, we have we have spawned this generation that says, "We will will refute authority at every point simply because they're authority. Not because They're wrong, not because of anything else, but because their authority. These guys were coming against Moses and Aaron simply because they were rebellious against authority. And as such, the authority that God had put over them, and as such, they were now rebelling against God. Say, that is so not the atmosphere for the glory of God to descend. But wait. The Bible says this. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, that by itself, that one verse of Scripture when he fell face down shows the great humility of this leader in the face of such horrible uh, disunity and, and adversity. But then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come, uh, that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man, of the, uh, the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. These were priests. These were supposed to be men who were behind Moses and Aaron. They were supposed to be supporting Moses and Aaron. They were part of those who would help lead the people into worship and into prayer and into praise, and yet these were the men who were being so rebellious. So Moses says, all right, God is going to separate, and he's going to show us what's going on. Moses also said to Korah, Come, uh, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near Himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? Hasn't God allowed you enough opportunity here? Essentially is what He was saying. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near Himself. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. You see the seething rebellion there? I'm going to do my own thing. Who, Moses, do you think you are? Isn't it enough? He says, verse 13 that you have brought us up out of the land, of flowing, uh, land flowing with milk and honey uh, to kill us in the desert, and now you also want to lord it over us? Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. We, will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering." I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged them, any of them. Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each man took his censer put fire and incense in it and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now listen to this. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, look at this, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there are times where the glory of God must come, and it's not a moment where we walk out of the building and say, wasn't that a wonderful service? Didn't I just get all manner of goosebumps all up and down my spine? No, there are times where the glory of God desires and needs to come so that whatever is impure will be purified, so that whatever stands against God and however our hearts may be standing against God will be corrected and purified. Now, we don't have time to read the rest of the story, but I want you to know the end result was simply this. Those who were rebellious, God had to take care of in a dreadful kind of way. We are living in an age of grace in which the ground is not going to open up. It's not going to, you're not going to drop into the earth and have it swallow you whole. It's not going to do that. No, but instead the glory of God will come in some way to try to minister to your life, touch your life, and to bring the impurity to the surface so that you will come before God in humility and say, God, I confess I've got to have you. I need you and I've been wrong. There isn't anything about these guys who ever said that, that that said, you know, that that even hinted that they were humble enough to say, you know, God, you're right. You know, all the times that we have seen Moses go into the tabernacle or go into the tent of meeting and and we've seen the visible sign, the cloud coming down over the, the tabernacle. We've seen visible signs as Moses went up into the mountain and there was fire and there was lightning and there was the cloud that came down, this great, incredible, visible manifestation of the glory of God. In all of that, these guys still hardened their hearts toward God. Brothers and sisters, we have to be so careful that when we come into the presence of the Lord that we have not allowed our hearts to be hard in any way toward what it is that God desires to do. Maybe it is in the back of our minds we criticize and we think about all the things that should be that aren't and we think about all the things that we have in our heads about how this ought to be that way and that ought to be that way and it just never has been. So you know, I'm just going to sit by and I'm going to stew in my juices. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that is a rebellion of the worst kind because it's not a rebellion that even stands in opposition visibly. It's a, it's a rebellion that just kind of hides in the shadows. I Listen, the glory of God has got to come to root out anything in us that isn't like Jesus so that we can be more and more like Him. So that we can invite that Shekinah glory, the presence, the desires to dwell in and to bless and to help and to strengthen. But on occasion, the glory of God comes in response to sin. Sometimes the glory of God has to come down in a way that brings about a change in people's hearts and minds in that they're headed in a wrong direction. You know, i got to imagine at that moment if these men had fallen down and confessed that they were wrong in their sin, The ground wouldn't have opened. You can read the rest of the chapter later on. The ground wouldn't have opened up. There wouldn't have been anything that happened. There wouldn't have been that kind of judgment because the same God of mercy and grace that we see in the New Testament is present in the Old Testament. He would have allowed them to go on, but that's not how it played out. The glory of God came to deal with sin. And on occasion, the glory of God has to come in order to deal with sin in our lives. This is why I'm getting way ahead of myself because there is a message that I have in mind. I'm just not sure when we're going to hit it. But this is why I believe it's so important that we never, ever be able to say about this church, about this local assembly, what it was said about as as uh, the... the priest, high priest Eli was giving. He he had just died. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had been killed in battle. The Philistines had taken the ark of the Lord, and now one of his son's uh, one of uh, Phineas' sons, his his wife's wife was giving birth to a child and right before she, she passed away in childbirth, but right before she did she delivered a baby and called the baby Ichabod. And that word Ichabod means the glory has departed. Listen, I don't care if God wants to come in His glory and deal with sin. I invite Him. I want Him to do that because it means He's concerned about His people. It means that He's present with His people. I don't ever want it to be, then get to the place in our church where it can be said that there's just deadness, that there's dryness to the point where the glory of God has departed. Brothers and sisters, don't you understand? Can't you get a hold of it in your heart and in your mind that this has to be a desire of all of us? That we've got to go after it. He comes in response. The glory of God comes in response to sin, the rebellion that can stir up in somebody's life. I've seen it all too often. I know that in the past, uh, my father has been through it as a pastor. I know that Pastor Impaglia, he's been through it uh, as well. My older brother Norman, I, I can remember a specific time. He's a pastor in Pennsylvania. He was pastoring another church for a while. This was many years ago. People just began to rise up against him as the pastor. I know my brother's heart. Um, hes, he's uh, probably. I would look to him and say, you know, if you were to compare pastors, I'd want him to be my pastor. Uh, he's that kind of—he's that kind of pastor. He is—he's a man of God, and yet I watched him. I was there, visited his home for a few days, stayed with him for a few days during this whole experience. Some of the experience of people just rising up against, fighting, rebelling, just wanting their own way. Didn't like this little thing or that little thing. And some people came against Him in such a way. But I want you to know that, you know what, when God sets somebody apart, when God sets someone apart to do a work for Him, God will defend that person as long as they are standing in the presence of God, as long as they are following God in their own calling and what it is that God has for them, God will come down and He will resist the rebellious. He will always... There is nothing about rebellion that is good in a church. Absolutely nothing. If there are rebellious people in a church, God has to deal with those individuals in whatever way He possibly can. He will have to deal with them, but eventually, you know what He'll do at different times? He might even just flush them out. He might bring them to the surface. Or at other times, he'll just cause them to go by the wayside. But rebellion, the Bible says this about rebellion, that it is as the sin of witchcraft. It's an amazing thing. Out of all the sins in the Bible, rebellion is the one that is equated with witchcraft. Isn't it an amazing thing? Because rebellion stands in opposition to God. There is nothing about being rebellious in the presence of God, or in a church, or in the body of Christ, that will yield the result that God wants and desires. Nothing. We can sit back and we can say, well, you know what, pastor? That's for you to say, But you know what? I've got my own mind made up. You can have your mind made up all you want. But you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for the glory of God to descend and for God to change your mind, to change your heart, to do something on the inside of you that will change for all of eternity. Now, the glory of God comes in response not only to rebellion, but also to sinful lips. Go now to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter six. We're not going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long, but we're not going to read the whole thing. But we see in what it is, what Isaiah writes, and this really uh, amounts to a vision that he had, but it was a very real, real vision of the experience that he had where God called him to be a prophet. God called him to do what God wanted him to do. But even in this prophet, God had to deal with some things first. And so God's glory had to come to touch unclean lips. Let's start reading at verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Now notice this: what it says here. And the train of His robe filled the temple. This would be another way where Isaiah would be saying, essentially what he's seeing here is the glory of God. It's as if you were to look in, I don't know if you've seen in movies or on TV at different times past, somebody who was, you know, somebody royal, and they would wear this long, long robe that had this train, almost like what you would see a bride walk in with down the aisle, that even when they pass by and you can't see the individual, you see... This flowing robe, you know, of course in the, course of the movies they, you know, they put the fan on to kind of blow the robe out and make it blow in the wind as if it's, you know, and they're walking and it's just this flowing material. Well, that's sort of the idea here that we see in this, uh, this picture of the train of his robe filling the temple. The glory of God was so great in this moment and in this situation. The Bible says this, and above him were seraphs each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So it wasn't just the temple. It just wasn't that place where the glory of god was the, the 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 these cherubim and seraphim they they recognized the whole earth was full and is full of the glory of god listen to this the bible says at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds took uh, shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Similar to what we see, and we have the idea and the understanding of a cloud earlier in the tabernacle where we just read a little bit where the glory of God descended and came down. There were moments where the glory of God was so great that the cloud descended that this place, uh, that the, as the cloud descended, there was something that was going to happen. God was going to reveal something in that moment that would change the situation, that would change what was happening. There's, there's no difference between that and what took place in Numbers, what we read about in some of the passage later on that we didn't read, and what's taking place here in Isaiah 6, the smoke filling the temple. A lot of times I've, I've heard people Describe, and I, you know, I take things with a grain of salt, but I hear people describe experiences they had in services where they said, You know, I looked up in these meetings, and and I, I don't want to take anything away from them, but I looked up in these meetings, and there was like a haze in the building. And I think to myself, I think, man. That must mean God's going to have to deal with somebody really, really in, in the depths of their hearts. That God's going to have to deal with some kind of sin. Listen, if I begin to see a, a haze, and I, I've never seen anything like that, folks. I, I, don't, I, I don't even know what to do with those stories. I'm just like, okay. You know, I I, I really don't. But, you know, if if you see a haze in a building somewhere... You may want to get out first. But you, you also may want to realize that if it's if it's if you don't smell smoke, that maybe there's something else happening there. That maybe it is that when the smoke came down, it was that there is a, a God who has, has to deal with sin. And we see that in the Old Testament, that the cloud comes down, and sometimes it came down to deal with the sin in people's lives. You see... God is so merciful. He loves you so much that his glory, his weight will descend upon you to Root out what is not like Jesus. Listen, respond to it in humility. Don't make excuses for yourself. Don't sit back and say, but that person did this to me, and that person offended me, and that person had something to say to me. Don't make excuses for yourself. Say, God, you want to work in me so that you can work through me. Lord, then let that glory, that weight come upon me so that I will reach out to you for mercy and for grace. The Bible goes on and he says this in verse 5. Isaiah cries out. He says, woe is me. That's the response you need to have. Not the response that Korah was giving to Moses and Aaron. Who do you think you are? When, when Isaiah saw the glory of God on that particular day, he said, woe is me. He didn't look at somebody else and say, oh, yeah, God, you see that guy over there in the temple? He, you go get him. You know, they're just so rotten and mean. No, he said, Woe is me. Lord, I'm looking at my own heart and it doesn't look good. He says, I cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But I want you to see what happens in, in the presence of God, in the glory of God, when it is that we're willing to say, Lord, it's me that's in the place of prayer. It's me that's standing in the need of prayer. It's Lord, I'm the one who needs help today. I'm the one, oh God, that I need you to touch me. I want you to see what takes place. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar with it. He touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is... Is atoned for. Listen, my friends, I want you to understand this today. When the glory of God comes in response to sin, the only response we can have and should have to the presence of God is for us to say with Isaiah, woe is me. And when we're willing to say, woe is me, then it's only then that God can come with His cleansing power and begin to root out that thing so that no longer will the glory of God be a weight upon us. But instead, we'll begin to see the splendor and the wonder and the beauty and the brilliance of His glory in our midst. We'll have that Shekinah glory, God dwelling among us to use us for His kingdom. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we've allowed sin in any form to enter into our hearts and our minds, the glory of God will come. But allow Him to deal with you. Say, well, do I have to confess to somebody? No. As far as I can see in Scripture, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't mean you go to somebody else and do that. You do that to God. You confess to Him. You say, Lord, this is what's been going on in my heart. I need You to do something in my life today. I need the glory of God to come down in my life and bring about a change in me that will mold me and shape me into the image of Christ. Listen, I don't really care how we look today. What matters most is that we look like Jesus. What matters most to the world is that we are genuine, that we are real, and that we look more and more like Him. And the only way I believe that we can do that is to reach out for more of the glory of God. And if God has to come and weigh Himself upon us with that weight of glory to say I'm here, but I've got to minister to something in the depths of your heart and root it out. Don't say, no God, I'm not going to let you do that. But instead say, Lord, Lord, I'm open to what it is that you want. So Lord, take out of me what doesn't look like you. Take out of my life what doesn't look like you so that I can be more and more like Jesus. You see, what God was enabling Isaiah to do was to go out in the midst of a people of unclean lips and minister to them to deliver a pure word from the Lord. The only way we can do that is to get that word from Him, to have Him cleanse our hearts and our lips and our life. I, I, you know, the more and more I think about it, I, I fear that in some ways the church of Jesus Christ is trying to find ways in which they can become more and more like the world. So that they'll be accepted by the world. That the world will think that, 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 that the church is relevant to them. I'm so tired of the word relevant. I, I just, I don't know. You know, it's it's so... You know, it's kind of a relativistic term. It's, it's one of those, well, you're relevant, but to whom, you know? And, and the bottom line is we're, we're worried more and more about what we can and can't do so that we can look like the world. You know what I think we need to be concerned about? What can I do to look more and more like Jesus? Because the Apostle Paul writes and tells us that we should, we should go after him until Christ is formed within us. That's how you can be relevant to the world. That Christ would be formed in you. Let me just move forward here before I get off on too many tangents. The glory of God came in response to sin. For many of us, we don't often expect that. But we do see that happening in Scripture. It is so that sin can be dealt with. It can be taken out of the way and that God can use us for His glory and His power. But the glory of God, this is the second area. There are only two things that I want to focus on today. And the glory of God comes in response to supplication, to prayer. The glory of God comes in response to prayer. Turn over to, and specifically, a prayer of dedication. Turn over to 2 Chronicles. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles 7, we're going to read just the first few verses of this chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 7, in response to praying, the glory of God comes. You know, this is why the devil wants to keep you away from praying. This, I believe, is one of the reasons why prayer meeting has become the least attended meeting of our, our, our existence here because I think we're allowing the enemy to come in and to keep us from the place of prayer. We don't value it as much as we ought to in our personal life, so therefore why should we value it in the local body of believers? Why why would we make an extra effort? Sometimes we don't even make an extra effort through the week to spend time with God, to pray, to come before Him. But I want you to see that after Solomon had built the temple. He prays this amazing prayer that starts all the way back up in chapter 6 of Second Chronicles and, uh, and, and finishes off. And we're actually getting it at the tail end. We're getting it at the when he finished praying part. We're not going to read the whole prayer. We're not even going to read any part of the prayer. We're only reading what happens in response to prayer. And it is this, chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Notice this. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. How did they know that? How did the chronicler know that? There was something that was visible that they saw at that moment where they understood the glory of God has now filled this house. Before that point, that building had just been a building. It had been an incredible building, been a gorgeous building, a building that nobody else was able to replicate or duplicate It had been a building that only Solomon's wealth could have provided for. Solomon's temple, they said at that time, would have been one of the seven wonders of the world. It would have been so beautiful and so gorgeous. Much of what we see, that that building, that temple was never ever rebuilt to be the, the way that it was when Solomon had built it but it had nothing to do with all the gold and the silver that had been inlaid into some of the 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 molding and the 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 way the building had been made there was nothing had nothing to do with that the glory of god came down in that place in response to somebody calling upon God and crying out to the Lord. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to our life here as a church, as a body of believers, the glory of God will come when we reach out to Him in prayer and say, God, fill this place with Your glory. Fill this place with Your power. Fill this place with the glory of God that will change somebody's life before they even walk through the doors. Let's read verse 2. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Not even the priest could get in there. Not even the priest could walk in because the glory of God was so powerful. It was so great. It was so mighty. The presence of God was so very real that nobody could do anything that was of, of normal religious experience. Nobody could do anything in that moment that they were called upon. They were supposed to do. The priests were supposed to go in and they were supposed to serve the Lord through their priestly duties. They weren't able to do that because the glory of God was there. Listen brothers and sisters, when the glory of God is in our meetings, we won't have to worry about you know anything going on. We won't have to worry about what's going to happen. We won't have to think about, well, is it going to be the same as what it's been before? You know what? The glory of God is there. It won't be the same as what it was before. This is why there's been a cry in my heart over the last little while that God, we need your glory in this place. We need your power. We need your might. We need your presence in this place. I'm not talking about some of the weirdness that goes on in churches. I'm not talking about asking for that. I'm talking about the glory of God that will so impact our lives that no longer will we come in with the same kind of thoughts and same kind of things going on in our minds, but the glory of God that will come down and change us right when we hit the doors and we come into the building, that there will be a sense within us that God is in this place. Oh, God, help us. Lord, help us. Verse 3 it says, when the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of God above the temple. These are all the lay people. These are all just you know the non-pastors. These are all the people who just came at that dedication service. Listen to what the Bible says. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, here's what they did. They didn't jump around and say, woo, woo, you know, this is great. But instead what happened was, the Bible says they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good and his love endures forever. He is good and his love endures forever. You know what they did? They knelt down and they worshiped. There was a spirit of worship. When the glory of God comes in our services, you know what? It's not going to have to be pumped up. It's not going to have to be, well, everybody stand and come on, let's praise, let's worship, let's do this. But instead, it's going to be a spontaneous thing. When they saw the glory of God, they responded by worshiping. They responded by getting low. They responded in humility. It's got to be the same way with us that we respond to the presence of God in humility when we come before Him and we recognize that God is in this place. There's somebody greater than your problems, somebody greater than your needs, somebody greater than your pain, somebody greater than all the garbage that has happened in the past. And there is somebody greater than the sin that you've allowed to happen in your life. There is somebody who can change it, who can fix it all that's the god that we worship i want you to know that in that moment those folks when they saw the glory of god they responded the way that we need to respond and they reached out to the lord you see the glory of god comes in response to prayer it comes in response to a prayer of dedication it is that saying lord this is this is your house this is your temple And and today, as much as we're here in a building that has been set apart, we dedicated this building in 2005, set it apart for the Lord. But you know what? Just because it exists as a building that is set apart for God, it doesn't mean necessarily that the glory of God will come into this place. It's got to be the people of God. You see, it's not, the, the Bible says that He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, but instead He dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you're not here, folks, there's no extra blessing on the building. You know, there's really nothing about this building that can change anything. When you come into the presence of the Lord, anything can happen. Anything can change so long as your temple is reaching out to God, so long as the glory of God is is coming upon your life in a way that will bring about that atmosphere of God in this place. So there is a prayer of dedication. There is also one other prayer turned back over into the book of Exodus. There is one verse of Scripture that I want you to see. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. The Bible says this. God had been talking to Moses in the context of this. Moses had already seen the glory of God in different ways. He had already seen God come through in mighty ways. The people of God had done so as well. They had seen God do great and mighty things. But I'll tell you what, when the glory of God comes, it creates a hunger and a thirst in your heart for more. The Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But even when you're filled, you want more. You've got to have more. Uh, The Bible says this, In verse 18, and this is Moses speaking in the context of what it was. God had actually been talking to Moses, saying, Go ahead, Moses, I want, go ahead, lead the people up into the promised land. Go ahead, take them into the land flowing with milk and honey. He says, But you know what? I'm not going with you. These people are hard of heart, they're doing their own thing. Go ahead, lead them in there. Let's see what happens. I'm not going. Moses said, oh God, if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, how can we go? I I don't want to go. I won't move from this place, Lord. You've got to be the one leading and guiding and directing. And look at verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you. I know you by name. And then listen to what Moses says. Moses has already seen the glory of God, but here's what he says. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. You see, God comes in response to the prayer of desire. There has to be a desire within us that says, Lord, there is so much more of you than what I have really reached out to take hold of. The more and more I study about God and study about His greatness and His grandeur and His power The more I've been studying of late in in different veins, really, than even what I've been preaching about, I've been studying about, about the grandness and the greatness of the universe and the fact that God is outside of all of that. You recognize that there is a God, brothers and sisters, that we think we may know about, but we've got to have a desire that says, Lord, show me a little bit more of your glory as much as I can handle, as much as I can take. Lord, show me your glory. You see, he responds to the prayer of desire. He responds to those who will say, God, I need more and more of you. Oh, let that be the prayer of your heart, brothers and sisters. Let it be the prayer of your heart that you would say, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. When you wake up tomorrow, and you go to your job. Lord, show me your glory. When you get up you know and you you're you're getting ready to go to a job that you know it's so hard, and there's you know just these you know unbelievers and they're they're crabby, or they're going to boast about their big fat weekend that they can't even remember half of what took place. You know, they're going to boast about all the things that they did and the places they went and all the alcohol they consumed or all the drugs they took. And they're going to tell you all the wild stories of all of that. Let it be the prayer of your heart. Lord, God, show me your glory. Because you know where that ends up. You know where that garbage goes. You know what happens to the individual who makes that pursuit. Let it be the pursuit of your heart, Lord. Show me your glory. Let me see your splendor and your brilliance. Let me see that manifestation of the the glory of God in my life in such a way that it will change me. It will take out the desire for other things and the desire for the world. It will take those hankerings out of me and it will give me a hope and a future. It will give me what I need to be able to navigate my way through the world that we are living in a world that is so lost and hopeless let it be the desire of your heart show me your glory O God say pastor what am I going to experience the only thing that I can tell you is this for each one sometimes the experience is different but I believe as we dealt with the definition of glory last week you will experience something on the level of His presence in your life. Whether it is that you sense it on the inside or you know that the room is just filled with His glory and it causes you maybe to pray more. Maybe it causes you to intercede for other people more. Maybe it causes you to just really reach out and take hold of his hand and say, God, I know you're with me. It gives you the assurance. I don't know what you'll get out of that. I, I know that it, for me and in, in times past, it's been different things according to what I need. You see, God is, is always meeting you at the point of your need. He's always getting you right where you're at. So don't worry about what it is is that you will experience, but just say, Lord, I've got to have more of you. I've got to have more and more of your glory. I want us to stand together today.